to Two Profs in a Pod. I'm Tanisha. I'm Beth. And we are faculty and faculty developers at Glendale Community College in Arizona. And we are so excited for you to join us on today. Beth, can you tell us uh, what we have on tap for today? We are being joined by Alexander Patrick, who is the Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at GCC. Welcome, Alexander. Thank you. Alexander has a bachelor's degree in anthropology, a master's and doctorate in sociology and women's studies, a minor in communication with an emphasis, I hope I'm saying that right, in performance studies, and he's an artist and a dancer and a fan of everything in the arts. Yes, Yes. I'm so excited for that. (laughs) (laughs) Love the arts, love communication, all of it. And anthropology and sociology and women's studies as well. (laughs) Everything. But I got super excited for performance studies because that's my jam. (laughs) Oh, and today we're going to talk about um, DEI specifically and what's happening at GCC and um, how that might uh, also trickle down to classrooms. So we really appreciate you coming to talk with us today. So can can you start us out with just... Where is DEI coming from? And, and has there been a timeline of events that you could point to that have gotten us to the place where we are today with a lot of colleges having, you know, DEI directors um, and, and so on? Well, okay. So first, I'm going to speak from my own understanding of where we, where we have been. And I believe that DEI has always been around, but we have not called it DEI. You know, from the beginning of education, yes, our education system may have been an education system that was built and had primarily white male students in it. Those white male students were not monolithic. They are different kinds of people. So the colleges have always had to find ways to ensure that they were able to serve those students. Now our college classrooms look very different from what they did historically. And we have a greater diversity of students. So it's not just a phenotypical difference that we see. We have students from different religions, different um, sexual orientations, different gender orientations, all different kinds of diversity that's in our classrooms. And our college system has moved to a place where we don't have just your traditional Um, universities and colleges around the country. We have our community colleges that were built to create access into a system that has not offered education to everyone. So now we're at the point where we realize access isn't enough. We have to actually build access with success. And in order for us to get to a place where everybody is successful, we have to figure out what are the needs of those people that come through the doors of our colleges. And for the longest time, we've also focused on when they don't, when they're not successful, well, they lack this thing or they lack that thing when they were at the college, so they weren't ready to be in college yet. Colleges are now trying to ask the question, it's not that people aren't ready, but are we ready for those people when they come to our doors? You know, so what is it that our colleges are lacking that, or what is it that we can change in our policies and our procedures that will help ensure that the people that come through the doors even though they may come from a different background, they come from different experiences, we're ready to meet them where they are and then propel them towards their goals of success. So that is a sort of a general overview, very, very general, because we have so many different details that we could dive into, but I feel like that's where we are right now. And I think that 
um, with our current president having this executive order focused not necessarily on educational entities, but government entities um, really mandating and asking them to go in, check your policies, check your procedures. Are there things that, um, that have been historically around that can prevent or create barriers for your employees and or your constituency in order for them to be successful in being able to thrive in your institution. And even though that is not directly sort of directed to the education system, it has a huge implication because we have our chief executive leader asking entities that are responsible for the people of the country to go in and check and see what's happening and report back and see what, what kind of resources that we can, how can we redistribute our resources to ensure that uh, the citizens of this nation are able to be successful and thrive while they're here. That is a huge example to set for the rest of the country. And I think as education leaders, we are not just leading, but we're also following and understanding that we can learn from one another. Mm-hmm. So that was probably a complicated answer. But no, <laughs> I, I love that answer. And, and Alexander's referring to uh, President Biden's executive order advancing racial equity and support for underserved communities through the federal government, which he signed on January 20th, 2021. Mm-hmm. So yeah, thank you for referencing that. Yes. No, absolutely. And I think one thing that you said was interesting is, you know, how there is this focus on access mm-hmm. and, making sure that people have opportunities to access the resources that are out there, um, especially in, in systems that weren't traditionally built for them. Right. And, but I think one thing that we have learned over time in, I think in multiple organizations is when you increase access, you know, you're, you're widening the door a little bit more and that means you have more and more people coming in and Mm -hmm. now it's like we're focusing inward a lot more as far as are we ready and are we prepared to serve the people we are opening our doors to. Right. And I, you know, it's now we're, we're, we're having conversations and looking at, you know, policies and practices and whether or not um, they are benefiting everyone or only benefiting a few. So Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's great that this work is, is kind of like peeling back those layers and seeing how we can better serve the people that we are serving now that our doors are a little bit more wider for others. So, so um, we talk a lot about um, DEI, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I'm sure everyone is not necessarily familiar with the terms of, 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 that specifically. So could you kind of expand on the key terms uh, that that would help people to understand? Right. And depending on the institution that you're at, these terms may be a little bit different, but I think one of the keys for our institutions is to make sure that everybody is on the same page and understanding what do you mean by this term when it's being used? You know, we depend a lot on sort of passive communication where we send out messages and we hope that people interpret them the way that they are in our heads. But the goal here, we really need active communication where we check in with people. You know, if someone's using terms, let's ask the question, what do you mean by that? And if we're asked that question, let's not get offended. Let's clarify what it is that we mean so that we're working towards the same thing. So really um, focusing on understanding diversity, People hear diversity, sometimes they're off-put because they immediately hear race. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They don't hear diversity, they hear race. Mm -hmm. Or if 
a particular type of diversity is not named, sometimes that can be off-putting. What is it that you're actually talking about when you mean diversity? So when we talk about diversity, we are talking about all kinds of people. We're not just talking about racial and ethnic diversity. We're not just talking about gender and sex diversity. We're talking about religion, nationality, religion, um, ability status, age. There are so many different forms of diversity, but what we want, we want everybody to know that all of these voices are welcome and they're welcome to be heard here and we need to consider them. Doesn't mean that we will be able to have something in place that will be pleasing to everyone, but what we do want is to, we want everybody to know when we mention diversity that we are welcome to everyone being here and we want to consider the experiences that everybody has, regardless of whatever background or category that you belong to, right? And even just this term diversity, sometimes we forget that the way that the human mind works, we're socialized to put people in categories. That is a natural thing that we're going to do, but we put them in categories so that we can figure out how do we interact with them? Mm -hmm. You know, based on where I come from, how do I treat this person, whatever they present in front of me? How do I interact with them? How do I make sure that they feel welcomed here or in front of me in this conversation? So um, we do that for a purpose, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that our categories can't be misleading. Our experiences mm -hmm. mislead us. Uh, they put us in a position to incorrectly categorize people. And because of that, we might interact with them differently. I will say this entire process requires a lot of vulnerability. So when we think about the E and DEI, the equity piece, mm -hmm. these three different terms are going to interact with each other. So because we have so much diversity, we have to constantly assess whether or not we are doing everything to make sure that everybody is successful. And equity really focuses on assessment, assessment of yourself, assessment of your classroom, assessment of your business, assessment of your college, whatever that may be. When you think about equity, you're just asking yourself, am I doing everything within my power, my ability, the resources that I have so that the people that I am serving are able to be successful? That's what we mean by equity. It doesn't mean that everybody gets the same thing. That's equality. But when we talk about equality, equality is not the thing that pays attention to differences. Equity pays attention to those differences that people bring to the table and says, okay, this person may need this, but we don't want to give this other person the same thing over here because they don't need that. It doesn't work right. for them. It doesn't work for their background. Whatever they come to the table with is different, right? But as we're talking about all these differences, we also want to make sure that we're an inclusive environment. That doesn't mean... And a lot of times we use the term, you know, accept people as they are. I like to say making people feel welcome to be their authentic self. Mm. That's different from me accepting. I have to accept a lot of things I don't like. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But if I if I can let someone feel comfortable enough to come to the table with their authentic self, that means that whatever they present in front of me, even though it might be different, it might be startling because I may not have been used to whatever that thing is. Mm -hmm. I don't have to get to a point of accepting it. I try to understand what those differences are. And I try to not capitalize on them, but understand that those differences that they bring to the table, they're going to bring different resources, different knowledge to the table. And I may be in a situation where I don't know how to handle whatever that situation is, but because of this person's background, they may have long years of experience in whatever that thing is. But if I'm not in a place of letting them be who they actually are, I may never know that. 
Mm-hmm. I may never know that. And then I'm stuck in a bind because I never tapped into a resource of this person that's right in front of me. Mm-hmm. Right. So when we think about inclusivity, we want people to feel welcome to bring their authentic self to the table. Mm-hmm. So that's long mm-hmm. definition or long explanation of all these <laughs> definitions. But I feel like hopefully that helps people understand where I'm coming from when I use those terms. No, absolutely. Um, <laughs> especially with, I think, equity. I think a, a lot of people don't necessarily understand that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, when it comes to what does that mean and what does that look like? And I think one key thing that you said is that it's it's not equality because that's different. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not looking at everyone having the same thing, but at individuals having what they need for for their individual self. So, right. and and I think that's that's a, a key point to really uh, clarify for people amongst right. everything else that you said. And if you remember earlier, I said we are at a place of looking at access with success. Access was the equality. The success, the success comes with the equity. Okay. Now we need to pay attention to those people that we've given access to education. Mm-hmm. What do they need to be successful here? Mm-hmm. Tanisha, remember how in our kind of typical episode format, we would always have nuggets. I feel like Alexander has given us like so many <laughs> nuggets already Man, today. I was thinking, I was thinking the same <laughs> we, thing. We've, I really, really love welcoming someone to the table to be their authentic self. That's Mm -hmm. so good. Mm -hmm. It's good, but it's a hard thing to do. Yes. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, absolutely. No, there's so many great sayings. I was like, oh, that's a good one. Ew, put that on a t-shirt. Like, I've written written them down with quotation marks around them. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So I can cite Alexander later. Especially the access to success. Mm -hmm. I really like that piece too. Mm -hmm. So Alexander, what, what do you see as the role of DEI on our campus and maybe then even more generally than that? So we, I think that DEI should always be on the table. And I think it has been on the table for a long time. I think we're now unpacking what that means for our college. So I don't think it's been something that's been forgotten about. I think it's been something that has been sort of lingering, but we haven't figured out how to explore it just yet. And we're currently exploring that across the college, across our campuses, not just at our campus, but across the district, you know, across all 10 of these colleges in the Maricopa Community College System. We're exploring what does that mean for us? What does it look like? What students do we have that we're serving? Because we have 10 colleges and, you know, the Valley itself is very diverse. So our college constituencies may be slightly different depending on the college. So I think as a college, we are now in the place of exploring what does that mean? What does it look like for GCC? What students do we have? Not only what students do we have, what does our workforce look like? Mm. Because sometimes we forget as an educational entity that we all play a huge role in the success of our students. And that just may mean smiling at someone so that they can have a good day. So the next student that they interact with receives that smile and they paid it forward as opposed to them having a bad encounter with you. And they take that attitude to the student, right. which could easily lead to that student not continuing. Right. You know, the slightest thing could trigger us because as humans, we're fragile beings. So I think um, for our college right now, it's creating a connection for all of us because it's easy for us to not focus on what you need when I don't see you as I don't see my connection to you. 
right? And I say one of the things that we all are before we're a student, before we're a faculty member, before we are an enrollment services uh, manager, whatever that may be, financial aid officer, advisor, we're all human. So if we can remember that the person that's in front of us is a person, it is a human, and how would we want to interact with them should we have come to someone with that exact same question? So I think the role of DEI right now is shifting the culture of GCC so that we all keep this in our minds as we're creating policy, as we're creating our syllabi, as we are, even for our students. You're sitting in a classroom not really knowing what your role is. As a student, you may be in the classroom with someone who's totally different. And I think that's one of the beauties of college is that, and I, I tell anybody, I hope that you get a chance to go to college. Not necessarily because I think you need all the degree attainment in the world. Degrees are wonderful, but colleges provide education. Whether you get a degree or not, you're going to get an education if you are in a college classroom. And that education is how to interact with people who are different from you. You don't get to choose who's in your classroom. You sign up for a class and you show up on day one and you see these people in this room with you. They may look like you. They may not. Even if they look like you, they may have very different experiences. So you get to hear different experiences. And as a student, you have that moment of saying, how do I respond to that? Do I take this in a negative space? Do I ask myself, why do I feel like that was a weird thing for me to hear? Why am I off put by that? We don't always teach our students to do self-reflection. And that's one of the things that happens in my classes. I always ensure that my students ask themselves before you get upset by something that's said, because I teach a lot of um, touchy, sensitive topics in my classes. Mm -hmm. um, so I always ask them, ask yourself, why do you feel that way? What is it about my upbringing that has not exposed me to this way of living? I'm not saying that you have to agree with it because I'm not here to change your mind, just here to open it that there are other ways of living and being in the world. And I think DEI for our campus is really waking us up so that we understand that we all come to the table with different ways of living. You know, even the person that you wake up next to, they don't walk with you the entirety of that day. So their experiences might be very different in how they come home to you. It's going to be impacted by what they've experienced and you're going to be impacted by what they've experienced. So even though I may think that what you went through today doesn't connect to me, it actually does because it's going to impact your interactions with me. So I think that hopefully that answered. If I did not get to the answer, just let me know. <laughs> no, I think you did. It's it, it's learning. Mm -hmm. it, it all comes down to learning, learning. yeah, mm -hmm. and reflecting. Mm hmm. And then you talked about the students and giving, and it gives them an opportunity to engage with other students who are different from them. And mm -hmm. I think that's the same for faculty yes. as well, right? That, you know, every year we have all of these students who come through our classroom and um, they are, you know, I kind of think about a play, like they are their own character mm -hmm. within their own, within their own setting, within their own scene, they're living their role, they're living their life. And they bring all of that to the classroom within that hour, hour, 15 minutes, two hours, however long you have them. And, you know, we're constantly being um, or seeing um, individuals who are different from us or have different points of views. And you have to think of a, as a faculty member, you know, how am I engaging with my students? Yes. Especially if they say something that's different from my belief or, mm -hmm. or could be off-putting, like how am I reacting and how, and am I, am I, you know, projecting something that, that makes them feel uncomfortable or negative about what they said, as opposed to unpacking that, Right. you know, I think it's, it's a very important lesson for faculty to learn as well, that we are engaging with uh, 
a diverse array of students and we have to be mindful and aware of how we interact with them as well. Yes. So, you know, I think that's a great lesson for not just for students, but for faculty and for staff. For yes. Really, everybody in the institution is pretty much what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So, um, so the next question that we have is, what is our hope for outcome in focusing on DEI in higher education? Okay. Oof. So you're asking, what is the vision of education here? (laughs) (laughs) That's a big question. Yeah. Um, Well, each each educational entity serves its own constituency, its own community. Our landscape is so diverse across the country, across the world, because we're basically an international education system here, right? So the hope is that everybody can see education and not that everybody has to go to a college, but if you choose to partake in the education system, you hope that the education system works to eliminate barriers that you might have to achieving your goals of success. Mm-hmm. So if regardless of wherever you, wherever you want to, what's successful to you, because success is personal. The definition is going to be personal, but let's just say you are a mother and you're a single mother of two and you don't have a way of childcare. Mm-hmm. Do we have the tools or the access for you to reach the college? And mm-hmm. at this point we've learned, we do, we have, we are in a very, very um, hybrid kind of educational society right now mm-hmm. that has created so much more access for people. But then we also have to think about, social class. Can you afford the tools to attend school virtually? If not, as an educational entity, do we have the resources to be able to loan out and or purchase depending on the school and whatever their budgets may be, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Do we have the resources to be able to provide um, internet, um, computers, iPads, whatever, electronic devices that students may use so that they can still get their education regardless of what it is that they come to the table with. So just, I think the vision is an education system without barriers to success, Mm. if I put that in a simple way. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I was actually thinking about that on the way over here today. I was just I don't know why it came to mind. I don't know um, why this thought kind of came, but just thinking about um, resources for students, mm-hmm. right? And and how, like, for example, being in the pandemic, you know, our students were trying to go trying to go to school, but they don't they didn't necessarily have the resources. Mm-hmm. And how our college, you know, tried to help them with that, right? With mm-hmm. things like laptops or, you know, little hotspots would help them with Wi-Fi. And, you know, doing things like that are very helpful with with helping people to continue their education in the best way that in the best possible way that we can. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. So, but no, great. Thank you. So next, um, who do we need to engage to help move the goals of DEI forward? And what might it look like in the classroom? Well, First question's easy, everyone. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That is the easiest answer I could give is everyone needs to be engaged from right. the student all the way up to the college presidents, to the boards of directors, to district chancellors, whatever it may be. Right. Everybody needs to be engaged. Um, you brought up this example just now thinking about students during the pandemic and what the college did to 
help ensure that students could access education. Mm -hmm. If you are a faculty member, one of the things that you could do in, in you know, thinking about, oh, well, the, stu the school offers all of these different resources. Not everybody knows. Right. Not everybody knows about these resources. So even though we made efforts to ensure that our students were able to get electronic devices, it does not mean that every single student was aware that our college was doing that. Right. It doesn't mean that every single faculty member, whether they are residential and or adjunct, were aware of that in order to be able to get those messages out for students. We're also in a we're in a weird place in time where we have both people who are from a print culture that will read. Mm -hmm. And if we send out long drawn out emails, we know that sometimes we get bored ourselves. So, you know, not everybody's <laughs> going to read those emails. Right. right, right. Do, does that written communication come with also oral culture communication where maybe there's a video or some kind of a recording that people could listen to that would tell them about these different resources, mm -hmm. regardless of their student status or executive level status. We are in a place where we're in a, we're in a hybrid kind of weird text place. I will say I'm probably of the generation, probably of the last generation before people had like computers and cell phones and stuff as they grew up. Mm -hmm. Kids now, they have a world where technology is all around them. Right. I come from a place where you had to pick up an encyclopedia and read that thing. So I might be okay with that, but I'm also young enough to have experienced a couple decades of technology. So mm -hmm. there are times where I'm like, okay, I need a video instead of this long drawn out email. Are we communicating all of those kinds of things? But I brought up that example of that faculty member. As you create and design your class and the assignments that are in your class, are those assignments flexible enough to where that student who doesn't have that computer, they're using their cell phone to try to take your class. Can your assignments be done on a cell phone? Mm. You know, it, yes, it's an online class. It's a live online class. It's a hybrid class. But are the materials that are in the electronic format, can the students access them through multiple different types of electronic devices? Because we know that the electronic devices are not created equal. They do different things. I was right. speaking at the assessment conference this past week, and I could not get in the conference on my computer because my Zoom wouldn't up update. I thought I updated it, but I had to go in through my cell phone and I did my talk through a cell phone mm -hmm. because my cell phone had uh, features that my computer couldn't do and I didn't have administrative um, capacities to do that and make those changes. So are your assignments in your classes able to be flexible enough to where people who are using different um, different devices able to access them? And then for the student who may be taking your class and they have to use public computers, are they able to get all of the material or is something... Um, can, can something only be done while it's on campus? You know, mm. as a faculty member, we have to do different forms and some forms we can't fill out when we're at home. Right. <laughs> we only can do that on campus. Right. So I take that to, you know, administrative entities. Are your faculty able to do everything that you need them to do both on and or off campus? Mm -hmm. If not, what are the reasons behind that and how can we get around that so that they can access those things and do they understand and do they have access? Right. Mm -hmm. So, I, I use these multiple examples because there's so many different multiple levels that are going on there. And also that we have to take responsibility for that. You know, many people are off put by the conversation around DEI because, you know, we're educators and we don't want to be social workers. If we did, we'd go into social work. 
But we have to recognize that the responsibility is not just in the hands of the social worker. There are so many things that we can do ourselves that could make life a little bit easier for the persons that we're trying to serve. So the question is always ask yourself, are you doing everything that you could, regardless of your capacity and your connections to the institution or business or whatever it may be, to help ensure the success and the thriving of everyone who is involved? Mm-hmm. I always give these long answers, but you know, but they're so good. Like I'm like, Oh yes. Yeah. So like you, just everything that you're saying, it just really resonates. And I'm sure it's also going to resonate not only with us, but with our listeners as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just appreciate having the conversation too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Let's see if we can tie uh, DEI back to some things that are going on on our campus right now with our strategic planning Um, You know that our campus has some goals to increase student successful completion rates, to increase fall-to-fall retention. So we're working on all kinds of of goals based on our strategic plan. And so I'm kind of wondering, um, how can our practices, and I should say too that those goals involve a with equity piece. Mm -hmm. So how can our applications of ideas related to equity in our classrooms, how ultimately is that going to help our students? Uh, And I mean, our goals are about numbers, but our students are in our classrooms and and they're Mm -hmm. not numbers, right? So how ultimately are we going to be helping our students when we're applying principles related to equity in our classroom? Okay, well, I think the first thing to tackle, and this is not just for our school, but just for listeners that you have, as we're using the terms with equity, they apply differently in there contextually. I can't say that we're going to give you a one size fits all answer because equity is a moving target. You know, our, as our as our our populations, our constituency changes from year to year, decade to decade, every five years, we have to change our our methods of ensuring success happens, right? So if we're talking about retention with equity, what does that mean? Or course success with equity, what does that mean? Do they have the same definition? No, they do not, right? So again, communicating to make sure that you are speaking to the exact same, or people understand what you mean by that. So when we think about retention with equity, we want to make sure that across the board at our, I mean, you can look at this different ways, depending on if you're a statistics guru, you know that there are so many different ways we can use stats, right? So if you're looking at um, retention with equity, our students Here's one way of looking at it. The rates at which they're coming in, are they staying with us at that same rate? Are there groups that are leaving us in a larger rate or a higher rate than other groups? Or we could also um, look at that in terms of people who are leaving um, or as they're going from fall to fall. Are they at a a certain threshold? Did we set a threshold that we want students to be at? And are they within like a 5% Um, we don't want them 5% below whatever that threshold may be. It would be great if they all exceeded that threshold, Mm -hmm. but we want to make sure that everybody's getting there. And I think that everything that we do in the classroom, everything that we do, everything that we do in regardless of whatever capacity that you're in, the way that you serve the institution is going to help us reach these goals, right? So if we're thinking about our 
our recruitment of students. As students come onto the campus, the first things that they see are the campus, what the campus looks like. The first mm-hmm. people they might see are, that they encounter are not their professors. Mm-hmm. When they get, try to get enrolled, they see the enrollment center first. They may see the groundskeepers first, whatever, whoever it may be. We all have a role in the recruitment of students. Now, that also means that if we are wanting to ensure that our student population matches the community that we serve around our community, then we have to assess, does our population match that? And if not, what schools, what areas are we not reaching? And let's go out and target that particular area. The same thing happens if it comes to hiring practice. That's one of the things that helps with recruitment. It's easier to stay in a place when you can see people who look like you. And if we want our faculty and our administration, our workforce to be more diverse, then we have to show students that they are welcome in those spaces. And part of that is being able to see themselves in those spaces. So that means that as we are as we are an equal opportunity employer, that's not enough. We mm-hmm. have to be intentional about targeting groups to make sure that we are advertising where those groups are, not just saying we won't discriminate. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between being against racism and being anti-racist, right? Anti-racism take, uh, racism takes action. You can say, okay, I'm not going to do this thing, and I think people are, 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 are equal and they should be treated well. But there's another thing when you hear something to step in and say, hey, that's not a right thing to do. Or to say, hey, I want to ensure that our faculty match the diversity of our students. Are we going to intentionally target areas where our target like conferences or schools or graduate places where mm-hmm. they have other, like we have minority schools across the country, you know? Mm-hmm. So are we targeting those areas to, to recruit faculty from those places so that students can see themselves here? Right. So that's that's just a little small way of looking at it Um, when it comes to our core success outside of the recruitment and thinking about why that's so important. If students are in our classes, but we have certain groups of students that are not being successful, then there's something that we're doing or not doing in order to ensure that that particular group from that background can attain this particular knowledge. And I will say that. One of our biggest challenges in terms of uh, DEI work is sometimes people don't see themselves in the work. Mm-hmm. You know, when they hear DEI, again, I mentioned they talk, we think about race and ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Well, if I'm a white male and I don't know, maybe I'm an elderly white male or maybe I'm a disabled white male or maybe I'm um, a non-heterosexual white male, gender variant white male, where do I fit into those kinds of spaces? Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of the... Mm, differences between race and gender and sex is that all of the other isms that we face, they cross into those boundaries. Regardless of whatever racial or ethnic background you are, we have people from different religions that are within those groups. We have different people from different sexual orientations within those groups. We have people of different age ranges that are within those groups. So all of the other isms are not forgotten about But the reason that we highlight race, we highlight gender, sex, is because those things have very distinct characteristics and they have very distinct histories that are very, very strong that we have to um, sort of overcome. And all of those other categories of people fit within those groups, Mm -hmm. right? So I say that just because I don't want people to leave this conversation or leave listening to this podcast thinking, well, I don't fit into that. 
there are ways that we all fit into this and to know that it, whatever, whoever your chief diversity officer is, your vice president for diversity or whatever it may be, your director of diversity, equity and inclusion at your institution, they should be focusing on that and helping everybody understand that the strategies that are used to target one particular group, it doesn't mean that they're isolated to only helping that group. We should be taking those exact same strategies to help the other groups as well. However, equity doesn't mean just because one group gets something, the other one gets it too. Mm -hmm. That's totally different. What it means is this group right now is not being successful. However, we already have the institution or the business built. Everyone else is being successful. They don't need anything at that moment. This group needs something. And it doesn't mean that those methods that are used to help that group can't be applied to other groups. So I just wanted mm. to hopefully say that, but all of that stuff gets me back to our strategic goals and mm -hmm. our, um, as we're working through all of this 4DX information, where mm -hmm. are we at with our wigs and where um, our wildly important goals, everything that we do should be targeted to ensuring that we achieve those goals, no matter how small it is, it should be targeted towards that. Mm -hmm. You've given us a lot to think about today. Yeah, probably yeah. too much. No, no, <laughs> well, definitely a lot to marinate on. I'm just, I'm just over here, just marinating over here on all of the nuggets and information and knowledge that you brought us today. Yeah, well, it's great. I could help. I'm yeah. so glad you came to talk to us today, and and maybe you can come back for another another episode a while from now, and we Absolutely. can talk about. Well, where are we now? Yes, and, absolutely. And how, how do things look different? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Okay. And just for those listeners, I've been in this position for mm, 10 months. So <laughs> we are working on it. It might be a little yeah. bit of a, a, a gap between my next visit just to give us some time to get there. It's a long road. Right, absolutely. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to to be with us on today. Um, we really appreciate your time and just the knowledge you brought on today. And, and I'm sure our listeners appreciate that, too. Um, and also, uh, thank you to our listeners for joining us on today. We really appreciate you, you joining us and listening to the conversation. And we really, really hope that you enjoy the information that, that you um, listened to on today. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed this conversation and want to join in, connect with us on Twitter. Follow at Two Profs in a Pod or leave a comment on our blog at twoprofsinapod.blogspot.com. Remember, spell out the number two. Other ways to show your support? Subscribe in your favorite podcast app, write a review on Apple Podcasts, or tell your colleagues about the show. Two Profs in a Pod is hosted by Beth Ayers, English faculty, and Tanisha Baca, communication faculty. The podcast is edited by Cheryl Colon, instructional developer, and is brought to you by the Center for Teaching, Learning, and Engagement at Glendale Community College in Arizona.